The Torah begins, Bereshis Tahir Akim, Etishimayim Asarit. In the beginning of Kaddish Baruch's creation, there was the heavens and the earth, and the details the whole story of how Hashim creates the world. Famously, Rashi asks, why was this the beginning of the Torah? Why didn't the Torah begin with the first mitzvah, which is the mitzvah of Chadash Zelachem? Now, the Ramban discusses this. And the Ramban asks, isn't the teaching us the Amunah, the fact that the world was created by Hashem, of significant, significant enough, of significance enough that this is a reason to start the Torah? And this is the cornerstone of our Amunah. Hashem is the creator and the world didn't always exist. And the Ramban answers and he says for that, the Torah didn't have to give us all the Chumash Pedashas. The Torah could have told us like it does by Shabbos, Kishesh, Yomim, Asa, Hashem, Sashemayim, Vesoretz. For six days Hashem made the world and everything in it. And we would have known Hashem is the creator. And therefore, why read the whole of Chumash Pedashas telling us the stories of the people who lived in those times and how Hashem dealt with them? We would have already known the world was created by Hashem. And the Ramban here explains to teach us that it's not just the original creation which came from Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu continues to run the world. And we see from the generation of the flood and the generation of the dispersion how Hashem rewards, Hashem punishes. Hashem hasn't left the world, so to speak, to its own devices. Hashem is still actively involved in running and taking care of the world. And now, really, this was the point of disagreement between the philosophers and the Chachamim. The fact that Hashem originally created the world wasn't much of an argument. One can prove that things don't create themselves. And therefore, if something has been created, it must have had a creator. The argument between the philosophers of Greece and the Chachamim revolved around a different point. And that is, after creating the world, does Hashem continue to run the world? Or in the words of Chazal, Azav Hashem Hashem left the world to run itself. Now, let's first explain the argument, the two sides of the argument, and then we can learn from the parasha the proof for the opinion of the Chachamim. Let's first explain the position of the Greeks, the position of the philosophers. And that is, if I wanted to build a system, I wanted to build a machine, I could build two kinds of machine. I could build one kind of machine that I'm constantly involved in, needs me to run the machine. Or I could build a machine which is automated. I could build a machine which runs itself. What would a person prefer to do? To build a system? To build a machine which he has to be involved in running it the whole time? Or to build a machine which runs on its own? And uh, what we would think, the logical answer would be, that if a a person can make a machine which runs automatically, it doesn't need him to be involved the whole time, it's better. It's a better machine. And if that's the case, if Hashem wants to create the world, 
And he has the option of creating a world in the case where he's constantly involved in having to run the world. Or creating the world like a perfect piece of machinery. Creating it with the operating system that it runs itself. So their argument was Hashem would prefer to create a world which runs on its own. Which is totally, so to speak, uh, able to continue without needing Hashem's involvement. Now, in order for a piece of machinery to run on its own, it has to work like clockwork. It has to work with the system, which the system keeps repeating itself again and again. And it has to work in the optimal way to make itself, to, to enable itself to continue. So therefore, in such a system, everything is going to repeat itself again and again and again, and it's going to make sure that it continues to run itself the same way the whole time. And if that's the case, Hashem created the world so to speak, with a system which is self-generating. It has to be that we can see the system. And it has to be that the system will repeat itself continually. And therefore, if you look at nature and the way the world runs, as part of a grand cosmic system which Hashem created, it has to work in the context that everything repeats itself. Everything repeats itself and repeats itself with precision. And that way you can build a system which can continue in its own. So we'll be able to understand the system of how the world spins on its axis, how the planets turn, when the sunrise and the sunset is going to be. And these work, things work again and again with such accuracy that once we've understood the system, we can predict when it's going to happen next year or next 10 years or the next 100 years because we've understood the system. And if the system is perfect, then it will continue, so to speak, happening again and again forever. Well, similarly, we can chart the growth of a plant and we can understand exactly after this amount of hours it starts to have a root and after this amount of days it starts to be a shoot and after this amount of weeks it starts to grow to a certain level. And this is going to happen again and again and again. And if we're talking in chemistry, the same thing happens. The combination of various compounds is going to have a certain result. I'm, I'm trying a certain experiment, it's always going to react the same way. And if I understand this system, then I can build on the system because then I can work out that if this is what happens in a certain set of circumstances, then I can rely on it to happen again and again. So if I've worked out that a certain drug cures a certain illness, then every person, any person, everyone who has the same illness, and I give them the same drug, it's going to cure them too. It's built into the system. That was the Greek philosopher's way of understanding the world. Hashem created the world with an operating system which is perfect. And if that's the case, it runs on its own. It runs on its own and it doesn't need the Hashem, so to speak, to be involved in running the system. And if you understand this, we understand that the Greeks' philosophy and the Greeks' exploration of science really came from the same point. And that point was, there must be an operating system in the world. And therefore, the world runs on its own. And therefore, if we understand the system, we can work with the system. And therefore, the attention to science was a way to try and determine, to understand what the operating system is and the exploration of various uh, cause and effects, whatever they tried to do, was to try and work out how this operating system works and that way we can employ it, we can work with it. And really nothing's changed. 
because the focus of science remains the same. There's a system, and we have to try and understand the system, and then we can access it, we can use it, we can enhance it, we can develop it, whatever it's going to be. Because if there wasn't a system, if what happened was random, and there was no way to predict what's going to happen, and there's no way to predict that it's going to happen again, it's impossible to work with that. Because there's no guarantee what the result's going to be. If each time I put together certain form, compounds, the result will come out different. So I can never rely on that, so to speak. I can never work with it or understand what it's doing. And therefore, between the two options of a random universe, where things happen with no rhyme or reason, or a very, very regimented universe, where everything happens with regularity and predictability and explanation of why it's happening, we see much more that the world works with predictability and with a very clear system. Now, if that's the case, there was room for the philosophers to think that Hashem is not involved. He built the system, but it's running on its own. We could ask on that the theological question, what was Hashem's point in creating a world which he's not involved in? But that, <coughs> they could theorize whatever they wanted to. Now, that's their point of view. There's a question many of the Rishonim ask. And that is, we look in the Torah, and we see what is the reward the Torah gives for mitzvahs. The Torah says, if you obey Hashem, the rain will fall. And the Torah says, that your, your wealth will increase. And your Hashem will bless your children. And we look at the Torah and we don't see anywhere that the Torah talks about the reward for mitzvahs as being Adam Abba. The reward for mitzvahs is being something spiritual. There are many answers to the question. Many of the Rishonim discuss it. But the point I want to focus on now is what the Ramban says. The Ramban says... Now what the Torah is telling you is a tremendous chiddush. He says the fact that a person is Hashem, a person who does what Hashem wants gets rewarded in a spiritual sense is straightforward. There's no chiddush in that. Not what we'd expect. But the fact that I keep Shabbos and because of that it's going to rain, or the fact that I put on food and because of that I'm going to be successful, what's the connection? How does one influence the other one? It makes me into a greater person. It makes me more entitled to spiritual reward. Understandable. But how is it going to affect nature? And therefore, says the Ramban, since this is the bigger Chiddush, since this is the, the something which is not understood on its own, then this is something which you would tell us to write to us. That it's not just that if a person serves Hashem, it's going to benefit him spiritually. But it's going to change the way the world runs. Because, the obvious space and understanding, the world's not running on its own. Hashem's running the world. And if that's the case, He's going to change the way the world runs based on what people do. So that's their Muna. And that's the point of the Chumash Parashas. That we see Hashem didn't just create the world and leave it as a finished product around itself. We see from the Dar of the Mabul, and we see from the Dar of the Hapalaga, and we see from all the other instances of Chumash Parashas, 
that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still running the world. <coughs> HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still actively involved in deciding what happens in the world. And there's a tremendous implication in this. Because if Hashem created the world and so to speak left it to its own devices, then, then we aren't obligated to in any way, which is what the Greeks wanted. But if Hashem is actively involved in running the world, then of course it's Mechayavas to turn to for everything we need. The world isn't a self-operating system, which is running on the sun track, so to speak, continually. Hashem is actively running it, and if that's the case, it makes a big difference what a person does. So that's the first Nakoda. Now, just like learning about the Bria Sa'ilam teaches us Simona, learning about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's continued involvement in the world teaches us Simona too. But the truth is that we can look at it from the Torah's point of view, but really the philosophers were wrong. The Greek philosophers were wrong, and they were wrong even in the analysis of the world. And that is, there's some primary systems in the world. Systems which the world could not exist without. Which are not regimented. Which are not predictable. Which are completely random. And uh, any attempt to try and explain or predict or understand some kind of regularity, some kind of system which is going to repeat itself has been proven wrong. Not only that, for in the martial we gave, for a machine to work in a sense that it can work on its own, it has to work in the optimal sense. And exactly the way it's best for its own running, that's the way it works. And we'll see areas in the world which definitely don't work in the optimal way. Now, the original Greeks didn't answer this either. But they were convinced that given enough time or enough understanding, we'll be able to uncover the secret and we'll be able to see a pattern here also. We'll be able to see the, so to speak, the same clearly defined regimented system that we see everywhere else. But with 2,000 years of analysis of scientific exploration since the time of the Greeks, scientists have come to the conclusion but knowing the Greeks wrong is exactly the opposite. We can we can say convincingly that there's no system. We know enough to say there are too many factors which could play and have an effect, and therefore there's no way we'll ever be able to find a so to speak a clearly defined repeatable system. What are these areas? What are these areas which are instrumental to the running of the world? But at the same at the same time are completely random. The first one is the weather. In an ideal world, just like everything else works with complete accuracy, the weather should work like that too. The rain should fall in each place exactly when it's needed and exactly how much is needed. There should never be droughts. There should never be floods. There should never be hurricanes. All these things aren't part of a perfect running system. If the system of nature, of weather, was meant to work as perfectly as everything else, then it should work perfectly. It should be the ideal climate, an ideal amount of precipitation, and the ideal, so to speak, uh, weather conditions for things to grow at their best. 
And that's not what happens. Number one, the situation isn't ideal. And number two, is completely unpredictable. There's no way that meteorologists of today can predict the weather next year. They can't foretell the next uh, flood, and they can't foretell the next drought, and they can't foretell the next hurricane. Or any other natural disaster. And why not? Because they'll say themselves, there's something called the butterfly effect. Which means any small factor anywhere could cause a change somewhere else. And if that's the case, there's no way of predicting what the weather is going to be. Not the heat, not the temperature, not the wind factor, not the rain, nothing. Now this is critical to the survival of the world. Crops don't grow without rain. Extreme heat, extreme cold are destructive. But it's a system which <coughs> is completely random. It's a system which doesn't have any kind of explanation. And definitely not repetitive. That's one example. My second example is human being. You can analyze every organ of a person's body and see how well it's functioning, how not, how or what problems it has. But having done your full biological analysis of the person, if you were predicting how long is this person going to live? So of course, in cases when a person's got severe issues, it might be very short. But for a regular human being, how long is he going to live? There's no way to know. There's no predictable way to discover how long a person is going to live. Because there's so many factors which could happen. Could he be sick and sick with what? And how strong is, is this organ or that organ and what's going to affect it? There's no way to know. And therefore, as much as it's, uh, they can work with each individual organ and see how it's working and if necessary do surgery to save it or correct it or whatever it's going to be, but human being as a whole, how long will the person live for? And what factors are going to lead to his death? There's no way to know. There's no way to know what or when or anything. And once again, if you're talking about machinery, so then the khari, like anything else, it should be something which we could predict. We should be able to see how long it's going to be or how long it's going to take, whatever it's going to be. But there's no way of knowing. There's no, no way of knowing what's going to change or if it's going to change and how it's going to change or what's going to get affected. Which is why medicine can't predict accurately how long a person is going to live for. And they can't find factors in two equally healthy, let's say, younger people to say this person is going to live to 90 and this person is going to die at 70. They don't know. A third field. The field of child conception. In the base Sarah, where we deal a lot with issues like this, we've we know, the medical world will tell you, that a full 40% of cases of people who don't have children, it's, there's no explanation. There's no explanation. There's nothing medically wrong that they can point to which would be a reason. It just doesn't work. And once again, if you're talking about a system which is created, so to speak, to work unfailingly, like everything else in the Bria, so saying over here, if all the facts are right, they should work. But it doesn't. And yet also, this is critical to the survival of the human species. So why is there no predictable way of saying that, like anything else, things should work on their own? Yeah, they don't. A fourth and final example. And that is 
Maybe this isn't in the natural world. But nevertheless, it's something which work, runs in the world also. And that is, there's no guarantees what's going to make a person wealthy. With all the factors involved, so this is a promise in Korea, or there's a real demand for this, or it's something which people will always pay for, whatever the reason might be, you'll get some people who will be in that field and be successful. You'll get some people who will be in that field and won't be successful. And that applies to every profession. The Gemara already says that the Ashiris or Aniyos don't come from the profession. There's no job which guarantees a person who's involved in this is going to be successful. And there's no job which is doomed for a person being in their job to be unsuccessful. And there's no predictable way of knowing that a person gets a certain degree of qualification that's a ticket to success. And there's no degree, there's no way of predicting that a certain thing is a person's going to be unsuccessful. Two people with the same skill sets, with the same abilities, one will be successful, one won't. That's nothing which is predictable up front. Obviously. If there's a scientific formula to prove success, then everyone will grab it. But it's something which is completely random. Something which is completely un, so to speak, expandable. What we see here is that even the Hashem left certain areas in the Bria, certain areas in the creation, which don't run with the set system. They aren't like everything else in the Bria which runs with a completely understood and repeatable system. And the reason is to show us that Kodesh Baruch Hu hasn't abandoned the Bria. To show us he's still taking control. And therefore, in those areas where he's proving that he takes control, there's no system, there never will be a system. There's certain areas in the Bria Hashem was willing to, so to speak, leave up to a certain system which runs on its own. But there are those areas that Kodesh Baruch Hu maintains direct control of. And therefore, there'll never be a system there because it, doesn't, it didn't form part, so to speak, of the tether that Hashem created. Something Hashem always left for himself to decide what he wanted to do with. What are these areas? The rainfall, life, birth, parnasa. And if a person hears this, so you understand this is the depth of what the Gemara means. The Gemara in Tatanis and the Basim Lalif, Amrabi Yechanan, Gimel Maftaychus Biyad Akadish Barakul. There's still three keys in the hand of Hashem the key of rain, the key of life, the key of childbirth. The Gemara adds last one, the key of Parnasa. And Sarashi Tevis Maftayach, the key is Mem, Pei, Tov, Ches, is Rashi Tevis for these four things Matar, Parnasa, Tchia, and Chaim. And what does it mean the key is still in Hashem's hands? It never became part of the operating system of the world. It's never something which was given a Mahalik which works on its own. There never will be a Mahalik. It never will be predictable, it never can be. Because these things remain behind Hashem, that's how He's showing us that He's still running the world. And therefore, we look at the brachas of the Torah. If we keep the mitzvahs, what are we going to gain? It doesn't say if we keep the mitzvahs, the sun will, will rise in the opposite direction. Or things like that. But we keep the mitzvahs, these are the areas which we'll gain in. The rainfall, parnasa, children, life. Those keys which are Biyad Hashem, that's where Hashem decides the whole time what to do with it. 
And therefore, that's what's going to make a difference, what we do, because that's where our Kodesh Baruch is going to, so to speak, repay us to do mitzvahs. And if Chas V'Shalom B'Kash will not do mitzvahs, then the opposite. Hashem will close the heavens, there won't be rain. And there won't be children. And it will take away life. And that's the second part of the Emunah. As much as it's important to understand the Bria, that Bereshit Hashem created the world, we use these four maftaychus, these four errors which you see Hashem keeps in His own hands as the proof that it's not just Hashem created the world and left it, but HaKadosh Baruch is still present and Hashem is still running the world. And therefore He has the keys in His hands still to decide on these four areas which are critical to humanity. Parnasa, the rain, life, children, that's Biyad Hashem. By extension, the whole creation is Biyad Hashem. But here's where we see the right. It'll never be a system. These are all things which come from Hashem Himself. And we see it in this week's parasha too. As part of a perfect system, once the seeds are planted, it should rain. That's what's going to cause the seeds to grow. But the Pazak tells us, until Adam Rishon came along and recognized the need for rain, it didn't rain. Here we already see the same thing. This wasn't built into a system. Even though the system needs it. If it's something Biyad Hashem, it's always Biyad Hashem. And then Hashem decides with no other factors. When, it meant, when Hashem wants these things to happen, that's when they happen. When Adam recognized the needs for rain, that's when it began to rain. That's one of the Maftaikas, we shall be Yad Hashem.